Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Weber. I've got a few segments for you in this, uh, you know, kind of normal size, I guess, episode. It's not particularly long and not particularly short. It's kind of a summertime episode of a few things I had coming about. Uh, I've got uh, um, a segment on, you know, working this year's state finals for uh, the third time here in Michigan um, and some of the, you know, feedback and and um, observations that I made doing that. I've got a little segment on ejection reports. Uh, I've got a little segment on Ernie Quigley, one of the greatest sports officials of all time. I've talked about him before on the podcast, but I took a little trip to Canada recently and was at the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. So I want to talk about him again as well. And also we have um, our first maybe only, but at least first, rule change for high school baseball for 2024, and I've got a little segment on that. I've been lucky enough to be uh, traveling around the world uh, quite a bit since November and quite a bit this summer. Like I said already that I just got back from Canada, but I also was in Europe for about 15 days on a trip with my wife and daughter. Um, My daughter's high school band was doing like a little tour over there that they do every four years. And so we went on the trip and went to six different countries. Uh, We were in the Netherlands. We were in Germany. We were in Austria. We were in uh, Switzerland. We were in Belgium. We were in France. And uh, great experience. You know, good time to be away from Things that you're familiar with, sometimes that's a good thing, like baseball. You know, I kind of get burned out on baseball from, you know, the springtime through the summer. I still was trying to assign tournaments and different things I was doing, but obviously I wasn't working any games when I was over there. I've got some coming up here soon, and I already worked a few since I've gotten back. But, uh, you know, we got to step away sometimes from from things and, and fight that burnout. I know a lot of people in the summertime work a lot of games, which I understand you want to make some money or you're trying to get better, or whatever your reasoning is, I have no problem. I've done that myself, but I've definitely cut down on the number of games I've worked uh, from past years, Um, and I feel like I'm a little healthier and happier when I've done that. But you got to do what you got to do out there. So hopefully you'll enjoy this episode. Um, It's just kind of a normal-length summertime episode. I've got some things coming up in the next few weeks here that I will you know, be talking about, um, like camps. I'm going to the, uh, the four-man CBUA camp in Indianapolis for the second time here this coming week. And uh, I'm sure I'll do some segments on my experiences there. Hopefully I will you know, show that I can work and, and, and do well there. That's always the goal at a camp. And I um, urge you to seek out some new opportunities too. And uh, try to make yourself better. Sometimes you got to throw yourself into some situations that uh, you're not as familiar with. um, And that's a great way to get better for sure. So sit back and listen to another episode of The Hammer and Umpire Podcast. Well, I mentioned in my last podcast that I would be reporting back to you on my experiences in the Michigan High School Athletic Association State Finals. And I'm going to do that because I don't want to be a liar. (laughs) Anyway, I was able to work my uh, third state finals here for the MHSAA. And 
as the other two were. Um, it was a great experience and things went off uh, quite well. Had a really good crew that I was working with. I had uh, Larry Anderson. I had Troy Miller and Scott Wallandowski. Uh, Scott was our crew chief. I was hoping to be crew chief this time, get a plate on one of the finals, but it uh, didn't work out. And uh, Scott was a great choice. Uh, former minor league umpire. I think he worked all the way up to AAA. So a tremendous umpire and definitely well-deserving of that honor. So I guess I got to keep working. Here in the state of Michigan, uh, you are not eligible for three years after uh, you work a final. So 2027, I'm eligible again. And uh, hopefully I can get back there and maybe work a final. In Michigan, we have four divisions, one, two, three, four. And we have uh, games on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So all the semifinals and finals are on Thursday and Friday, and then the four finals are on Saturday. So if you're working it, you work either two games on Thursday or two games on Friday, and then you work your final on Saturday. And so all three times that I've done it, I've always been Thursday and Saturday, which is fine, you know, whatever. And uh, just like last time, I worked the first game, which started at 9 a.m., and then the third game. And then for this particular time, I had the Division Two final, which was the third game of the of the day. The first game uh, went a bit long, so it started a little bit later. But that's all right. You're, you're there anyway, so there you go. I'm going to kind of go through some of the things that I experienced. But if you've worked uh, a state final in your state, or if you just know about how the state finals work in your state, maybe someday you will be working it, I'd be curious. You know, leave a a voicemail here on the Anchor app or send me uh, an email and let me know how it kind of works, if it's similar or different to what we do here in the state of Michigan. Nonetheless, I had the first plate on uh, Thursday. Uh, I ended up, you know, plate, third base, and then first base. We've got a new director of the baseball uh, officials, and uh, he kind of did things a little bit different. So, I'm not saying one way is right or wrong, but, you know, traditionally, if you started at the plate, you would go, you know, plate third, second. That's what I did, you know, three or four years ago, whatever it was, 2019. First time I did it, I had first plate third. You know, you just kind of do the regular rotation. But, you know, they moved it around a bit. So with a four-man crew, you're going to work, you know, the same game. Um, the same crew is going to work all three games that you have together. And um, usually there's, you know, not usually, always, there is one guy that does not have a plate because, you know, there's three games and four guys, so somebody's going to be that guy out. I've had a plate every time I've done it, which is fine. I, I like that. That's kind of part of the deal, I guess. Anyway, my plate job was fine. I, I, I felt like I had uh, a good zone and I was locked in pretty well. And uh, things went, you know, reasonably well. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of craziness out there. Uh, I think we had one rotation. You know, when you're working four man, there's only really three big things you got to worry about when you're working the plate. So, you know, as far as moving and rotations and stuff. Um, but I thought it went well. I had a good ball game, um, close baseball game, uh, back and forth. One team would jumped up four nothing, and the other team came back and ended up beating them six four. We did have an issue with some uh, student fans uh, for one of the teams that the the team that ended up losing. By the way. A fan had to get kind of kicked out of there, you know, just people being silly about things. You always see that certainly with uh, the state finals. I'm sure this is the way it is in every state where 
you know, parents know this is it, man. This is potentially the last game for my son. And uh, they know that it's a one and done thing and, and you're out if you lose. So they get a little bit amped up uh, for sure uh, with with the uh, the atmosphere. Um, you know, when I'm watching the other games in between my games, I certainly notice that. Our games are at Michigan State University in East Lansing. And uh, MSU, of course, is a very big school, so they have good facilities. Um, baseball field is great. It's got LED lights. It's all grass, but it's really well-maintained grass that drains super well. Got um, good stands and everything. It's not like it's an SEC school that looks like a minor league stadium or something, but it uh, holds a few thousand people, and usually we get really good crowds. And it's also happening at the same time as the softball, which is just you know, a walk across the little plaza away. And so they get good crowds there in a nice stadium. And then on um, Friday and Saturday, they have the finals for girls soccer. They have four of those, two each day. And so you get, um, you know, and that's all in the same general area. And so you get this kind of festive, festival kind of atmosphere, all kinds of people. Parking gets a little tough, but there are, there's plenty of places to park on Michigan State's campus. So it's it's kind of fun. You got a lot of people. It's usually you know warm out, which it was, and uh, it's a great time. You know, it's like got this buzz in the atmosphere, and I really like it. You know, I've had the privilege of working many different types of games, and uh, I definitely um, have enjoyed working my state finals as much as pretty much anything that I've ever worked. It's nice to meet some new guys and everything. Went down Wednesday night uh, before Thursday. You know, they give us a hotel and everything. Uh, went out with some of the guys and, you know, we went out and got some food and stuff after they, they feed you and everything, but go and get something to drink or whatever after uh, the meeting and talk to them and learn about them in a little bit. That's that's half the fun for sure. And, uh, you know, we had our little four-man mechanics meeting. One of the big things that we had talked about was um, for the last few years for four-man because there's so many people that are inexperienced with it from around the state that work it even though you've got to work up to like quarterfinal before you get to the semis and finals here in michigan guys are not real great on the fly ball so they were having guys going on every fly ball which in my estimation um and from what i've seen too causes more problems because uh guys don't then pick up the bases and rotate properly um you know because they don't know three-man as well either uh, when they do that so this time, uh, you know, we basically just umpired it and went out, you know, paused, read, and reacted and went out the way that you're supposed to based on whatever's happening with the fly ball and the fielder. And that seemed to work pretty well. I, I thought that was good. So anyway, the plate job went pretty well. We had some rain in the morning. That's what happened to me back in 2019 as well. But we didn't have any delays. And so the games went on as scheduled. Friday, I didn't work. Uh, those went well. Um, well, my... Second uh, game on Thursday, I had third base. And, of course, you know, if you're working third base on four-man, it's kind of an all-or-nothing. Sometimes you might get absolutely nothing. And if you do get something, it's usually something reasonably significant. I didn't have any safe out calls at third base, but I did have a home run that was straight down the line. I thought it was going to hit the pole, and it did not. It just scooted inside uh, for a fair home run, three-run home run. Um in you know the middle of the game and it was the pitcher who only gave up one run and the kid had a three-run home run as well i think he's going to university of michigan he's a heck of a player but at michigan state it's 340 down the line and that's a good poke for anybody certainly for a high school kid 
So um, that was my significant call, and and I was, you know, I got it right. I saw the replay on it, you know, because they live stream all the games and everything. So I was able to see that later, and I definitely got it right. I felt confident at the time, but I saw it, uh, you know, after the fact. You know, it's nice to confirm those kind of things. And then on the uh, final, I had first base. And, you know, as always seems to be the case when I have first base, I had several whackers over there. A few close ones that I think I got all right. Um, and that's what people have told me afterward. Um, great plays by some of the infielders, first basemen, you know, keeping their feet on the base and making good plays over there as well. And so that was the significance I had. I don't think we had any real big rotations or anything on that. And that was a good ball game, two to one ball game. Uh, that the one team won. So um, it all went pretty well. Um, it was a really good time. Weather was great on Saturday, and uh, it was great to work the four-man. Um, here later in July, I'm, I'm going to be uh, going to the four-man um, evaluation clinic in Indianapolis once again. I went there a few years ago, and uh, I'm going to, you know, basically it's like CBUA four-man thing in Indy. So you work a game at each of the four bases. And uh, this experience, you know, the format that I've worked this year certainly helps, you know, to get that in your mind and everything. So I appreciate that too. But I always like working these games, you know. Um, I, I definitely fill myself up with what I can do for high school ball once college baseball ends. And, um, you know, it's definitely worth working to get to uh, a state finals. And luckily my partner, uh, Brent Clark, who I worked quite a few high school games with over the last few years. He also had a state final this year, and it was his first ever. So I believe he had a really good experience as well. He kind of did the same, uh, almost the same order I did, but he did, you know, some of the same base. I think he had second base and I had first base, but he did plate first, second, I think. You know. So anyway, good times. Again, if you have... Uh, work at state finals in a in in some capacity or you plan to and you know how it works in your state i'd be curious to know how it works for you and uh, you can send me an email or go on the anchor app here and just leave a one minute or less voice message you can say a lot in one minute or less and let me know how the state finals works in your state and uh, what kind of experience it might be for those umpires that are lucky enough to work it It's that time of year for summer baseball in which the weather's getting a little hotter, definitely here in the north and the Midwest, and uh, people's tempers and behavior is getting a little bit uh, worse. So I've had some ejections, and uh, I just wanted to talk a few minutes about writing a good ejection report. And you should write an re ejection report whether it's your you know, regular season for college or high school, but also during the summer if you're working for some assigner. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's like just some tournament or some weekly game, whatever it might be. If you have an ejection, you should do that. And it's also a good time to, um, you know, work on your ejection writing report skills. And uh, I had a, uh, an umpire that had his first ejection, kind of his first report. And one of the big things with ejection writing is keeping it simple, you know, one sentence, one idea, Short sentences, they're the easiest to read and understand. You don't want long, drawn-out sentences that can complicate things a little bit. You don't want a bunch of extra details. You're not doing a play-by-play -play of the game. As I said to him, 
um, is kind of like Dragnet with Sergeant uh, Friday. Just the facts, ma'am. That's what you want to go with. If you have a bunch of, you know, extra details, you can call your assigner and uh, or see them face to face, of course, too, and just talk to them and tell them any extra things that need to be there. I just want to know the specific situation, what led to the ejection, um, write it in paragraph form, um, cite a rule if needed, cite if you had a, uh, a warning, which is always good. Um, if there was profanity or something used, you don't you know, say it was bad language or the F word. You say exactly what somebody said. Hopefully you're not swearing as well. And you just keep it to the basic facts and describe what happened and keep it as accurate as possible. You, of course, keep a record of it. If there's some place you've got to send it, then you do that and uh, you take care of it um, when you get home. Okay. Uh, some assigners have different criteria for you. They want to know immediately, which is good. That's always good. If uh, you're working multiple games and you have, um, you know, you have four games and in the second game you have an ejection. Well, right after that game, you can send a quick text or maybe a quick phone call, but definitely a quick text saying I had an ejection in game two. Um, this is the basics, you know, just a few sentences or, you know, or like a few words really and say, I will get you the report um, when I'm done with my other games. And then they know because the signers want to have a heads up that something might be coming their way. They don't want to be blindsided and not have any information and they're behind the eight ball. That is the worst feeling in the world. So you let them know that there's something coming and that uh, you will get them the other pertinent information later when you, as soon as you get a chance. Don't be afraid to write the report, you know, don't be afraid to have to eject and know that you're going to have to write a report. That's fine. That's just what you have to do. It happens every so often. And, um, you know, hopefully the person kind of ejected themselves if it was a good ejection. Had one with uh, just the last couple of days. Um, coach arguing about infield flies, not really understanding the rule. Typical, of course. Um, and then, you know, getting personal and end up getting himself ejected. Had another on, um, you know, a, man, a three-man game, actually, in which there was a couple close pickoff plays at first base. And the coach didn't like them or something or other, thought that they got them wrong. But, you know, <laughs> I wasn't there. But if I we got an umpire right on top of it, I feel like he's probably doing okay with it. You know, that's why you're, you know, six to ten feet away from the base. So nonetheless, he was saying some things as he was going across. And it was an assistant coach, and he ended up getting himself ejected. And, um, you know, had the reports written up. Um, the second one there with the pickoff plays and everything, um, more experienced umpire that was just a short and sweet kind of thing um, and just told us the basic details. Uh, we had another one in which it was a little bit longer, but that's okay. I mean, you know, very well written. You know, I have a, a degree in English, so I always appreciate some <laughs> some descriptiveness in uh, the writing, but uh, I don't want it for the reports. And I had to work on that myself over the years because I can be a little lengthy in what I write. So I've had to just, you know, just the facts, ma'am, kind of thing and make sure I just have what, what I need there. Because if you are um, an assigner, try to put yourself in their position, you certainly don't want 
to spend all this time reading this report. You just want to know the basic things that happen. And of course, no matter what you write um, or say, make sure you're not lying and it's accurate because we know there's cameras everywhere. Um, there's a good chance somebody maybe had something on a cell phone. Obviously, a lot of things get streamed now. So if you were in the wrong, you have to admit that and make sure that you are as accurate as possible with your story. If you have to confer with your partner to make sure that you're getting it right, that's a good way to do it as well. And uh, make sure you take care of those things. Don't let uh, don't have some objection and then your assigner has to find out later that, oh, you rejected somebody? Oh, well, it's nice to know now, that kind of thing. You don't ever want that to happen. So those are a few things to keep in mind here. Do what you got to do. Take care of business out there. Give warnings when appropriate. Obviously, we know that there are a few things that are like immediate objections, but most things are not. And uh, if they decide to not heed the warnings, then uh, take care of business and uh, write their report later if you need to. So just a few things there for you on ejections and ejection uh, reports. Um, do a good job on those, fellas. So we just got word from the National Federation of High Schools that there is going to be a rule change for high school baseball for next season, 2024. They're going to uh, permit electronic communication devices from the dugout to the catcher. And uh, the rule change will be rules uh, 1-6-2 and 3-2-5. Um, and... Basically, the use of one-way communication devices between a coach in the dugout and a team's catcher for the purposes of calling pitches will be permitted in high school baseball beginning in 2024. The new rules prohibit coaches from communicating with any other players beside the catcher on defense and with any player while batting. The coach must also be in the dugout when using the communication devices. Um, so... I know this will be a new change for those of you that only work high school baseball and below because they haven't had this, uh, but they've had this for the last couple of years or so, maybe two or three years, I think, in collegiate baseball, and of course, in professional baseball, they allow such things too, and I like it. I think it's great. Um, it really speeds things up. Uh, there's lots of time wasted frequently, particularly in high school baseball games between uh, the catcher and whoever is giving him signals and then miscommunications and such. Teams, of course, don't have to use it. There's lots of um, uh, devices out there now, electronic devices, that they can do this. They can do it with the simple earpiece if they want. Uh, they have these uh, kind of wristband things that they can wear. Like They almost look like a little Apple Watch or something that can give like a signal or something like that too. Uh, it's whatever they decide to do. I've never heard of anybody hacking it. There was somebody in one of the... Facebook groups I saw or something or other that was like, oh, is somebody going to hack it or whatever? I've never heard of that. I'm not saying it's not possible, but usually doesn't happen. So I think it's a great change. and I'm glad that they did it and it will speed things up and move the game along at a better pace for sure. All right. Um, there's some other changes I'd love to see them do in uh, high school baseball that are similar to college. I'd like to see them change how they do the conferences, the charge conferences. Right now, of course, we have three charge conferences uh, for the whole game for a particular coach. He come out three times in one inning, right, and not have to change the pitcher. But, you know, fourth time he comes out, he has to change the pitcher. 
that's fine. Um, and, but the problem is that we have so many times, particularly with, with the catcher who wants to go out and talk about signals or whatever the heck they're talking about. I've had games where they asked, you know, three or four times a game. And then sometimes, you know, you'll get the shortstop coming in or whoever it might be as well. I wish they would change it to the college rule where you get six and you get three with the coach total. However, if your players decide to, you know, your catcher goes out there two times, your first baseman comes over, your shortstop comes over, well, now the coach is down to two. And that's the way it works. So I like that. That definitely cut down the um, player interactions on the mound significantly because a lot of them are completely unneeded. I know every once in a while they need to do something or whatever, but uh, frequently it's just a waste of time. And the other thing I'd like to see them do is that you can only come off your base or go talk to your coach when you're on offense when they make a pitching change. It's such a waste of time as well in high school baseball that, uh, you know, the there's a mound visit and then, you know, there's guys on first and second and they're all over there at third base talking to, you know, the coach over at third base and the you know, coach's box there. And then they got to wait for them. They get all the way back over to the bases. That's a waste. You know, if they make a pitching change, you can do that as long as you get back before the pitcher is ready. That's fine. I think they should change that too. I know we have all the timing things that we do in professional baseball and in collegiate baseball, and I think those work great and they do cut down the game. I don't know if high school baseball is ready for that. I mean, I'd be okay with it, but I think that that is a long time off for, for something that will be happening. But those other changes, just like here with the electronic communication, uh, can be something that can be done straight away. We've had coaches in the area of West Michigan that have asked about the electronic communication. So I'm sure there'll be a few of them that will be very happy that this is the change. Um, it is the way baseball is going now. Um, you know, it used to be back in the day, like when I played and when some of you played, I'm sure the catchers called all the games. You know, I used to, I was a catcher myself and, and I would call pitches and I felt like I did a pretty solid job doing it. But now almost no catchers call pitches in today's baseball. And so it really has been slowed down because the coaches want to micromanage everything. And uh, this electronic communication, uh, one-way communication, definitely will cut down on some of that lag time and dead time that we see throughout baseball games at the high school level. So anyway, a good change. We'll see if some others come out here as we go through the rest of the summer and into the fall. But that was the first one that was just recently announced. recently uh, took a trip to Canada for a few days. I, I go to uh, Stratford, Ontario for their um, Stratford Festival. I've been doing that for over 20 years or so. And about 15 minutes from Stratford in Ontario is St. Mary's, Ontario. And it is the home of the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. And many, many years ago, I'd gone there. Um, but recently, in the last few years anyway, they added a brand new building and you know updated things and stuff like that. And I hadn't been there for probably 20 years or something. 
So I decided I'd go on this trip. So I went there, and, you know, it's not very big, but it's it's worth going, especially if you're a big baseball fan. So I, I suggest it if you're in the area. And uh, I was looking through there and looking at all this place. Of course, they got lots of stuff on the Expos and the Blue Jays and things like that. Uh, but they have a few umpires that are also in their um, Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. And probably the greatest of all of them is Ernie Quigley. Now, I know way back when, probably in the earlier days of this podcast, I probably did an umpire spotlight on Quigley, but I'm kind of doing another one here. I, I feel like I should because I believe he is uh, the greatest Canadian baseball umpire, and he is one of the greatest sports officials of all time. He's just an interesting person. You should Google him and look some stuff up on him. Um, he was born in 1880 in um, uh, Newcastle, New Brunswick, and lived all the way until 1960, um, and ended up playing, you know, basketball and coaching and different things like that at the University of Kansas. So he's a a big legend at the University of Kansas. Uh, but also, he um, for 31 years, from 1913 to 1944, he served the National League with distinction as a field umpire, supervisor of officials, public re- relations director. Uh, for 26 of those. He not only umpired Major League Baseball, but he also gained national prominence, prominence officiating major college football and basketball. Um, so he'd do about 250 games a year. Um, typically, um, like in over 40 years, quickly is estimated to um, have um, officiated 1,500 basketball games, 400 football games, and over you know about 5,400 baseball games and log about 100,000 miles a year. I mean, he would be gone like 325 nights a year, okay? So this guy was quite the sports official and kind of set the pace for a lot of other people in the future. He's also notable because he was um, working the 1919 World Series when the infamous Black Sox, you know, Chicago White Sox, played Cincinnati. And uh, he said that he did not really... uh, see any wrongdoing during the series. He was not aware of it, um, which is interesting. Um, and he, you know, umpired several World Series and other big sporting events and such throughout his, his career. Now, if you look at some earlier podcasts, I don't know which episode I have it on, but I know I did an umpire spotlight on him. But I thought that he was interesting because obviously it's not, as I'm going through that Hall of Fame, I'm looking at all the baseball stuff because I'm a big baseball fan myself. But uh, certainly the umpires uh, caught my attention too, particularly Ernie Quigley. So that is um, my little mini umpire spotlight for this particular episode, um, just to reiterate the greatness of uh, the sports official Ernie Quigley. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast is in the books, or at least on tape, I guess. Um, I'm getting ready right now to get my gear all set and head out to umpire a summer collegiate league game out in Muskegon, Michigan. Uh, this will be the first one that I've worked this year. I used to work a lot more of them, but I've kind of cut down on those. And the Muskegon team is, is very good this year. They've got the best record at this point in the league, and they're probably going to make the playoffs. So I'm kind of hoping that uh, they asked me to work uh, one of the playoff games. I usually work three-man, and that would be kind of fun. Um, I've been able to work a little bit of three-man with some of my summer tournaments this year. So it's always good to be in practice, and uh, obviously I think three-man is the the most fun uh, system to work. Um, Until then, I hope you guys are 
staying healthy and getting some games in and getting better. You're thinking about maybe going to a camp yourself this coming fall or maybe this summer if there's one that you can find. But definitely the fall camps are the way to go for most people. And until next time, keep calling strikes.